Welcome to tape number 14 of Gleanings in the Godhead, Part 2, Excellencies which Pertain to God the Son as Christ by A.W. Pink. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. Now to the reading of Part 2 of Gleanings in the Godhead by A.W. Pink, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing on with Chapter uh, 14, the example of Christ. But here, a very real difficulty confronts those who sincerely seek grace to heed this divine appointment. In what particular respects are we to regard Christ as our exemplar? All things recorded of him in holy writ are for our instruction, but not all for our imitation. There are some things Christ did as God. For example, he wrought miracles. My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, so even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. John 5:17 and 21. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of and, and palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. Matthew 9, 6. Even the apostles never performed such deeds in their own nature or by their own power. Again, as mediator, he performed works of merit, thus making expiation for their sins, of, of the sins of his people, and bringing in everlasting righteousness for them, and obtaining their justification and reconciliation. So now his intercession secures their preservation. No mere man can do anything meritorious, for at best we are all unprofitable servants. Luke 17.10 even as man, Christ, performed extraordinary acts which are not for our emulation, fasting for forty days and nights, walking on the water, spending a whole night in prayer, Luke 6.12. We do not read in Scripture of anyone else doing so as cases in point, our cases in point. So he performed certain temporary works which pertain to the time in which he lived, which are not for our, imita our imitation, such as his being circumcised, keeping the Passover. Wherein, then, is Christ to be imitated by us? First, in all those moral duties which pertain to all men at all times, which are neither extraordinary nor temporary, comprehended in the loving of God with all our hearts and, all our, and our neighbors as ourselves. Second, in such duties as belong to a like calling, as the child obeying its parents, Luke 2.51.
the citizen paying his taxes, Matthew 17:27. The minister of the gospel diligently, Luke 8:1, and faithfully, Hebrews 3:2, discharging his office. Third, in all such works as have like reason and occasion for doing them, Matthew 12:12 12, 12, and John 8:59. The believer's conformity to, to Christ corresponds to the nature, excuse me, to the states through which he passed. Christ Jesus first entered a state of humiliation before God rewarded him by bringing him into a state of exaltation. Therefore has God ordered that the members shall resemble their head. They are called upon to endure sufferings before they enter into the promised glory. The disciples of the Lord Jesus have to experience a measure of opposition, persecution, hatred, affliction, as and they do so for their hope of a better life to come. In that they do but follow the captain of their salvation, who was made perfect through sufferings. Hebrews 2.10 Has not God declared, If we be dead with him, Christ, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.11-12 and 12. That order is inescapable, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, and that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 2 Corinthians 4.10 In like manner, the Christian is to be conformed to the special acts of Christ's mediation, which are his death and resurrection. These are of paramount consideration, for they are not only a pattern proposed to our meditation, but also a great influence upon our dying to sin and living unto holiness. This is evident from the fact that those graces, effects of grace in us are ascribed to those acts of Christ's mediation, which carry most correspondence with them. Thus, our mortification is ascribed to Christ's crucifixion, Galatians 2.20. Our vivification to his rising unto life, Philippians 3.10, and our heavenly mindedness to his ascension, Philippians 3.20. So that all of these chief acts of Christ are verified in his people. We die to sin as Christ died for it. But in descending to more specific details, it is in Christ's graces we are to be conformed to him. All the graces and virtues of the Spirit were represented in their grandest glory and brightest luster in his life here on earth. First, the purity and holiness of his life is proposed as a glorious pattern for the saints to imitate. Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. 1 John 3.3 3. Before enlarging upon this, let us point out where Christ is unique and beyond our imitation. He was essentially holy in his being, for he is the Holy One of God. He entered this world immaculate, pure from the least stain of pollution, that holy thing which shall be born of thee, Luke 1.35. Again, he was effectually holy, for he makes others holy. By his sufferings and blood there opened a fountain for sin and for uncleanness, Zechariah 13.1. He is also infinitely holy as he is God, and no measure can be set upon his holiness as mediator, for he received the Spirit without measure, John 3.34. In these particulars he is inimitable. Notwithstanding these exceptions, the holiness of Christ is a pattern for us. He was truly and sincerely holy, without fiction or pretense. 
when the prince of this world scrutinized him he could be he could find no defect in him john 14:30 he was pure gold throughout the pharisees may pretend to be holy but it is only an outward appearance now the christian's holiness must be genuine sincere without simulation christ was uniformly holy at one time and one place as well as another the same even tenure of holiness ran through the whole of his life from first to last so should it be with his followers as he which hath called you is holy so ye be holy in all manner of conversation first peter 1:15 what inconsistencies we have to bemoan one part of our life heavenly another earthly christ was exemplary exemplary holy a pattern to all that came near him so that even those sent to arrest him had to return to their masters and say never man spake as this man we are to imitate him in this respect the Thessalonican saints were commended because they were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia for from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia Donia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7-8 Let none go out of our company without being either convicted or edified. Christ was strictly holy. Which of you convicteth me of sin was his challenge. The most observing and unfriendly eye could pick no flaw in his actions. It is our duty to imitate Christ in this too that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2.15 Second, the obedience of Christ to his Father's will is a pattern for the Christian's emulation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who became obedient unto death. Philippians 2.5 and 8 Christ's obedience was free and voluntary, not forced and compulsory. Then said I, Lo, I come, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Nor did he waver later when suffering so grievously in the discharge of that will. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life. John 10, verse 17. So the Christian is to follow the steps of Christ, doing nothing grudgingly and counting not God's commands grievous. Our obedience must be rendered cheerfully if it is to be acceptable. See his perfect submission in Gethsemane. Here too he left us an example. We are to make no demur to the most unpleasant task God assigns us. Happy the Christian who can say with the apostle, For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 21.13. The obedience of Christ was entirely disinterested. It was wrought for no self-ends, but for the glory of God. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, John 17.4. Christ sought not honor of men, but the great desire of his soul was, Father, glorify thy name, John 12.28. This quality must also characterize our obedience. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2.4 The streams of Christ's obedience flowed from the fountain of love to God. 
but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father giveth me commandment, even so I do. John 14:13. Let this also be true of us, for loveless obedience is of no value in the sight of God. The obedience of Christ was constant, continuing to his very last breath, being not weary in doing will is required of us. Be thou faithful unto death, Revelation 2.10. Third, the self-denial of Christ is the pattern for the believer. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, Matthew 16.24. Though there is to be a resemblance, there can be no exact equivalent. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8.9 Who can gauge what Christ, for the glory of God and the love which he bare to the elect, gave up for us? How trivial in comparison is the greatest sacrifice we are called upon to make. Christ was under no obligation whatever to deny himself for us, but he placed us under the strongest obligation to deny ourselves for his sake. Though under no obligation, he denied himself readily, making no objection to the severest part of it. Then let it not be said of us, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.21 Let not self be loved, petty, petted, pitied, pampered, and indulged, rather renounce and mortify it, and make pleasing and glorifying Christ your great business. Fourth, the active and diligence, excuse me, the activity and diligence of Christ in fulfilling the work of God committed unto him was a pattern for all believers to imitate. It is said of him that he went about doing good, Acts 10.38. What a glorious work he accomplished in so short a time, a work which will be celebrated through all eternity by the praises of the redeemed, a work upon which he, his heart was intently set. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, John 4.34. It was a work under which he never fainted, Despite the greatest opposition, the shortness of the time provoked him to the greatest diligence. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work, John 9.4. He improved all opportunities and occasions, granting Nicodemus an interview at night, preaching the gospel to the woman at the well when he was exhausted from his journey. Nothing displeases him more than to be dissuaded from his work. Get thee behind me, Satan, he said to Peter, when the apostles said, Spare thyself, Lord. Shall his followers trifle their lives away in vanity? Shall we be slothful when he was so diligent? How great an honor God has placed on us by calling us to his service. Steadfastness in the work of obedience is our greatest security in the hour of temptation. The Lord is with you while you be with him, Second Chronicles 15.2. Diligence in prosecuting holiness is the way to get more, Luke 8.18. Graces grow by being used. Spiritual acts lead to spiritual habits. Talents faithfully employed are rewarded by an increase. Diligence in the work of God is the direct way to an assurance of the love of God, Second Peter 1, verses 5 to 10. Diligence in obedience is the greatest security against backsliding. 
coldness leads to carelessness, carelessness to negligence, negligence to apostasy. The more diligent we are in serving God, the more our likeness to Christ. Fifth, the inoffensiveness of the life of Christ on earth is an excellent pattern to all his people. He injured none and never gave occasion for any to be justly injured by him. He was not only holy but also harmless. He waived his own personal rights to avoid giving an offense, as in the case of tribute money. When he was reviled, he reviled not again, 1 Peter 2.23. So circumspect was our Savior that when his enemies sought occasion against him, they could not find any, John 19.4. Let us earnestly seek grace that we may imitate this blessed excellency of his life, that we may obey God's commands and be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, Philippians 2.15. The honor of Christ, whose name we bear, is bound up in our deportment. The rule which he has laid upon us, Be ye wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. Matthew 10.16 6. The humility and meekness of Christ is proposed by him as himself as a pattern for his people's imitation. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Matthew 11.29 He abased himself by taking upon him the form of a servant. He stooped to the lowest office by washing the disciples' feet. When he presented himself to Israel as their king, it was in humiliation, riding upon the back of an ass. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek. Matthew 21.5 He declared, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Matthew 20.28 20, He condescended to the lowest of men, eating with publicans and sinners. Matthew 9.11 in all of this he left us an example to follow. Oh, to be clothed with humility, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, and thereby evidence our conformity to Christ. Pride ill becomes one who professes to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. It not only betrays lack of communion with Christ, but also a woeful ignorance of self. Nothing is so provoking to God and more quickly estranges the soul from him Though the Lord is high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Psalm 138.6 Pride is totally inconsistent with the complaints we make of our corruptions, and it presents a serious stumbling block to the children of God. Be not ambitious of the world's great ones, but content yourself as one of Christ's little ones. Learn humility at his feet. Evidence it in your apparel and deportment, 1 Peter 3.3. 3. Display it in cultivating fellowship with the poorest of the flock, Romans 12.16. Show it by speaking of and comporting yourself as less than the least of all saints, Ephesians 3.8. Seventh, the contentment of Christ in a low and mean condition in this world is an excellent pattern of his, for his people's imitation. His portion here was a condition of deepest poverty and contempt. The child of lowly parents born in a manger, so deprived of his comforts of this world that much of his time he had not where to lay his head, so poor he had to borrow a penny to point out its superscription, yet he never murmured or complained. Nay, so far from it, so perfectly content was he with God's appointments that he declared the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, Psalm 16.6. Under the most degrading sufferings he never resisted. 
he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah 53.7. This is a quote from John Flavel. Quote, Oh, that... Excuse me. Oh, that in this also the poorest Christians would imitate their Savior and learn to manage an afflicted condition with a contented spirit. Let there be no complaints or foolish charging of God heard from you, whatever straits or troubles He brings into you, brings you into. The meanest and most afflicted Christian is owner of many rich and valuable mercies. Ephesians 1:3 and 1 Corinthians 3:23. Is sin pardoned and God reconciled? Then never open your mouth any more. You have many precious promises that God will not forsake you in your straits. Hebrews 13.5 Your whole life has been an experience of the faithfulness of God to His promises. How useful and beneficial all your afflictions are to you. They purge your sins, wean you from the world, and turn you to your salvation. Then how unreasonable must your discontentedness at them be? The time of your relief and full deliverance from all your troubles is at hand. The time is but short that you shall have any concernment about such things. Your lot falls by divine direction upon you, and bad as it may be, it is much easier and sweeter than the condition of Christ in this world was. Yet he contented Yet he contented, and why not you? End quote. Quoting again John Flavel. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John 2.6 The principal design of the apostle in this epistle is to exhibit certain signs and marks, both negative and positive, for the examination or trial of men's claims to being Christian. 1 John 5.13 it is in that light our verse must be interpreted. The proof of a saving interest in Christ is our imitation of Him. Where this criterion faithfully insisted upon today from the pulpit, much of the empty profession now abounding would be clearly exposed. A claim is made, He that saith he abideth in Him, which signifies an interest in and communion with Him. The only way that claim can be established is by walking as Christ walked, following the example he has left us. Every man, every man is bound to, to the imitation of Christ under penalty of forfeiting his claim to Christ. The necessity of this imitation of Christ convincingly appears the diverse ways. First, from the established order of salvation, which is fixed and unalterable. God hath appointed the end, hath also appointed the means and order by which men shall attain the ultimate end. Now conformity to Christ is the established method in which God will bring many souls to glory. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 The same God who has predestinated men to salvation has, in order, predestinated them to conformity to Christ. This order of heaven is never to be reversed, as well as may hope... We may as well hope to be saved without Christ as to be saved without conformity to Christ. 
Second, the nature of Christ's mystical requires this conformity and renders it indispensably necessary. Otherwise, the body of Christ must be heterogeneous of a nature different from the head, and how monstrous and uncomely would this be? This would represent Christ to the world in an image or idea much like that the head of fine gold, the breast and arms of silver, the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet part of iron and part of clay, Daniel 2, 32-33. Christ the head is pure and holy, and therefore very unsuitable to sensual and worldly members. And therefore the Apostle in his description of Christ's mystical describes the members of Christ as they ought to be of the same nature and quality with the head. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we may, as we have borne the image of the earth, earthy, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That image or resemblance of Christ which shall be complete and perfect after the resurrection must be begun in its first draught here by the works of regeneration. Thirdly, this resemblance and conformity to Christ appears necessary from the communion which all believers have with him in the same spirit of grace and holiness. Believers are called Christ's fellows or co-partners, Psalm 45.7, from their participation with him of the same spirit. God gives the same Spirit unto us, which he more plentifully poured out upon Christ. Now where the same Spirit and principle is, there the same fruits and operations must be produced, according to the proportions and measures of the Spirit of grace communicated. And this reason is farther enforced by the very design and end of God in the infusion of the Spirit of grace, for it is plain from Ezekiel 36.27 that practical holiness and obedience is the scope and design of that infusion of the Spirit. The very innate property of the Spirit of God in men is to elevate their minds, set their affections upon heavenly things, purge their hearts from earthly dross, and fit them for a life of holiness and obedience. Its nature also is assimilating and changeth them into whom it is into the same image with Jesus Christ, their heavenly head. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Fourth, the necessity of this imitation of Christ may be argued from the design and end of Christ's exhibition to the world in a body of flesh. For though we detest that doctrine of the Sassinians, which makes the exemplary life of Christ to be the whole end of his incarnation, yet we must not run so far from an error as to lose a precious truth. We say the satisfaction of his blood was a main and principal end of his incarnation, according to Matthew 20:28. 20, we affirm also that it was a great design and end of the incarnation of Christ to set before us a pattern of holiness for our imitation. For so speaks the apostle, he hath left us an example that we should follow his steps, 1 Peter 2:21. And this example of Christ greatly obliges believers to his imitation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. Fifthly, our imitation of Christ is one of those great articles which every man is, so, is to subscribe, whom Christ will admit into the number of his disciples. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, Luke 14:27. And again, 
If any man will serve me, let him follow me. John 12:26. To this condition we have submitted, if we be sincere believers and therefore are strictly bound to the imitation of Christ, not only by God's command, but by our own consent. But if we profess interest in Christ when our hearts never consented to follow and imitate his example, then are we self-deceiving hypocrites, wholly disagreeing from the scripture character of believers. They that are Christ are there described as walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Sixthly, the honor of Christ necessitates the conformity of Christians to his example, Else what way is there left to stop detracting mouths and to vindicate the name of Christ from the reproaches of the world? How can wisdom be justified of her children except it be this way? By what means shall we cut off occasion from such as desire occasion but by regulating our lives by by Christ's example? The world hath eyes to see what we practice as well as ears to hear what we profess. Therefore, either show the consistency between your profession and practice, or L, or you can never hope to vindicate the name and honor of the Lord Jesus. The last uh, several paragraphs were a quote from John Flavel. From all that has now been before us, we may draw the following inferences. First, if all who claim a saving interest in Christ are strictly bound to imitate him, then it follows that Christianity is very unjustly charged by the world with the evils and scandals of empty professors. Nothing can be more unreasonable for Christians. Christianity severely censures loose and scandalous actions in all professions, excuse me, in all professors, and therefore is not to be blamed for them. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Titus 2:11 and 12. Really, it is an argument greatly in favor of Christianity that even wicked men covet the name of it, though they only cloak their sins under it. This ends the reading of tape number 14 of Part 2 of Gleanings in the Godhead by E.W. Pink. Please go to the next tape in the series. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. We can be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, fax 780-468-1096, or mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you would like a, a free printed catalog and don't have a web connection, Excuse me. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Part 2 of Gleanings in the Godhead by A.W. Pink, is available from Stillwater's Revival Book in soft cover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. And please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation bookshelf and Puritan bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com. These CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed book.